Good morning. morning. We'd open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'd like to thank you again for your goodness to us and the mercy that God has shown through you for your support, for your prayers. And while I have this open and I'm remembering, we do have some new pictures that I'll have to remember to put at the back. If somebody would like a picture of our family to remember us by, there are some pictures. Uh, We've been gone for about a year, I suppose. It was the end of July last year when we left for Canada. And uh, the Lord has been very gracious to us while we were there. I think last time we were here, Allison was in a wheelchair still, and uh, now she walks along pretty good. Uh, Even uh, as she feels her way around, she doesn't like using her cane very often, uh, but she is learning how to use a cane. Her vision, right, the last time we checked in the beginning of June was 20 over 1,400, which is twice as good as it was in September when it was 20 over 2,800. With these reading glasses, I can see things, and my vision supposedly is 20-20, so you can imagine what it was like. But that's even better than when everything was just black. And so it keeps, uh, even though it seems very small and very tiny, the improvements, there are still improvements. Um, and so we continue to keep praying for Allison's vision and would appreciate your prayers regarding that. Um, her hydrocephalus is well controlled. For those who don't know what that is, it, our brains produce about 500 milliliters, which is about in American two cups, I suppose, of, of liquid a day uh, that surrounds our brain and our spinal cord so that Uh, when we move our head from side to side, our brain doesn't run into our skull and give us a concussion every time uh, we turn our heads. And uh, you and I, if you don't have hydrocephalus, would reabsorb all 500 milliliters. Allison absorbs or reabsorbs about 499 and three quarters, which is almost all of it, but it isn't all of it. So you can imagine if you have a quarter of a milliliter, in one day it's no big thing. Probably in two or three or four days, it's no big thing. But if you uh, have that buildup, it's going to cause swelling in the head and put pressure on the brain. So she has a a shunt in her back. And uh, the doctors tell us that 50% of them fail in the first two years. If they go beyond two years, they're probably going to have it for quite a long time. Uh, And so for the next couple years, we're probably going to be in Canada for six months and in Mexico for six months uh, to keep her British Columbia medical insurance active in case she needs uh, a a surgery of that sort. So for the next couple years, we'll be traveling back and forth up the I-5 
to get to Canada. Or maybe we'll take the 395 one day, I'm not sure. But we probably wouldn't take the 395 in the winter because of snow. And we might not want to take the 395 in the summer because of Death Valley. So maybe we'll just stick to the five. And it only gets to 100 degrees going through the San Fernando Valley, or the, sorry, the San Joaquin Valley. And so we, we do, from the very depths of our hearts, thank you for your prayers for us, and especially for Allison. And everybody's turned to Matthew chapter 12, except for me. Uh, in here in Matthew chapter 12, we have something very interesting happening. We have three statements from the Lord Jesus himself saying that he is greater. There are five points in the New Testament uh, where we see that Jesus is greater, but three of them he himself says he is greater. In John chapter 4, they would ask him the question, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this wealth? And the implication uh, that Jesus would give in his response is, if you knew who was offering you this water, so the implication was that he was greater than Jacob. In a little later, they asked, are you greater than our father Abraham? And in his response, he says, before Abraham was, I am, implying again that he is greater than Abraham. But here in Matthew chapter 12, it's not just hearsay, it's not implication. Jesus himself says he's greater. And so in verse 6 we have, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. In verse 41, it says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And in verse 42, it says, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So we have three statements. We're going to try to look at the first one this morning, greater than the temple. And then this evening, Lord willing, we'll look at the greater than Jonah and greater than Solomon. In these three examples given, we have Jesus in his offices, don't we? When he says he's greater than the temple, he's showing his office as priest. And he's greater than the temple. When he's greater than Jonah, he's showing him in the office of the prophet, being greater than Jonah. And when he says he's greater than Solomon, he's showing himself in his office as king. Showing himself to be the king of kings. But we'd like to consider the first one this morning, greater than the temple. So we'll start reading in verse 1. And it says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And they, those that were with him, how he entered into the house of God, the tabernacle, and did eat the showbread, 
which is not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him. It's only supposed to be for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that how on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane or make common the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this means, I will have mercy, or I want to have mercy. I desire to have mercy. I delight to have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us this morning. We have Jesus and his men, and, and they're wandering around Israel, and, and they got hungry. Sometimes we get hungry, don't we? And they went through this corn, field of corn, and, and they started, well, I'm hungry, here's some corn, I'm going to pick the corn and eat it. I used to think this is a strange thing, eating raw corn. Anybody like eating raw corn? Only those who have been to Iowa in northern British Columbia, I suppose, because there are certain kinds of corn you can eat raw. Uh, and it, but it has to be fresh. Fresh corn is always the best way to eat corn. If you're going to eat corn on Wednesday, don't buy it today when you're at the grocery store. Buy it on Wednesday because it becomes more starchy and it loses its sweetness. That's all free advice from an expert corn eater. And, but there are some kinds of corn you can eat raw. The first time I heard of it, Dave was talking about when he, he came back from a family reunion and his, his uncles and cousins had this kind of corn they eat raw. And I said, that's, I didn't say it, I don't think, but I thought to myself, ew, who would want to eat that? No hot butter on it? What would melt the butter? That sounds just yuck. And then we're, we're on our way to Canada and and we're on a place to, called Quenelle, which is about 400 miles north of the border. And, and they had this sign, a dollar a dozen. And so we pulled off the road to get a dozen. It was a U-pick. And it said, the fellow said, and everything you eat in the field is free. So I thought to myself, there must be a big fire and a cauldron, like a witch's cauldron, with boiling water down there. And you just pick the corn and throw it in, and they'll have a little table with butter and salt and all the fixings on it that we like to eat with our corn. And we got there, and there was no roaring fire. There was no boiling kettle or cauldron of hot water. I said, well, what is this that all we eat in the field is free? We'll just eat it raw. And I thought, ew, yuck, that doesn't sound very good. And and so in our family, we have one child who absolutely, positively is enchanted and enchanted by corn, Allison. She'll even get a can of corn sometimes and eat it right out of the can. She enjoys it so much. And so we offered her as our sacrifice and our guinea pig and said, Allison, you try it. <laughs> and she tried it and, well, how is it? It's good. So after we got the official, it's good from her, we tried it, and it was good, and it was sweet. So we have corn today probably like they were eating in those days still, and, and it's understandable what they were doing. They were hungry, they went through the cornfield, and they, 
were eating corn. Um, but the Pharisees came along and they accused them. They're saying they're doing what it's not lawful for them to do on the Sabbath day. You know, they're, they're not supposed to be harvesting. They're not supposed to be picking. And then they, they shucked the corn, so that's a little more work that they're not supposed to do. And, and then they're eating it, so they're sort of grinding it with their molars. Uh, Solomon would call them grinders that are falling out when we get older. In, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he would call them the grinders. And, and so they're doing all these things that they're not supposed to do on the Sabbath day. And I suppose maybe technically they were right. Anybody gone to the, the DMV and, and, and you got to take a number? Well, once a miracle happened and I went into the, the DMV and there was nobody there. And so I went up to the counter and the gal says, well, what, do you have a number? No. Well, you need to have a number. So I said, well, where do you get the numbers? Oh, they're over here. So I go and I get the number and it was like number 70. Now serving number 45. So she called out number 46, 46, number 46. Number 47. And she went all the way through until she got to my number. Now, I, I suppose technically she was right, wasn't she? But, but spiritually speaking, or under the, what the spirit of the rule was, is that people wouldn't cut in front of you. So who was here first? Oh, I was. So, so they'd cut in front. But if you have the number, you can prove that you're not... You were there first. That's what the spirit of the law is there for, so that people don't cut in front, so you don't have somebody that just got there slipping into the front, and the other person that's been waiting four hours because they didn't have an appointment already has to wait for four hours. That's what the spirit of the law is. And, and, and the Pharisees were missing the whole thing. I guess technically they weren't supposed to harvest, even though they weren't really harvesting, but but they were picking the corn, and they were shucking the corn, and they were eating and gr using their grinders of their molars to, to get the corn. But, but they were missing the whole point. So Jesus says to them, didn't you ever read what David did? Maybe. I suppose I probably did. Well, you know, he was fleeing from Jerusalem, and he had these guys with them, and and they got hungry on the trip. That's the way guys are. They just do something simple and they get hungry. They were just walking and, and they got hungry along the way. And, and the only thing for them to eat was the showbread. Now, I'm not exactly sure how much bread that many men would eat, but apparently they got filled up. Someone has suggested that, that even though we think of the table of showbread as something, but but maybe the breads were long and they overflowed from the table. I don't know. Maybe there are these long French breads that they make that are crusty on the outside and you could set on the table. I don't know, but there is apparently enough of them for them to lose their hunger. And they ate it, and it wasn't lawful for them to eat it. It was only for the priests. 
what Jesus was implying there, why didn't God send a lightning bolt and zap them off the face of the earth for such disobedience if it's so bad? It wasn't like they were walking through this field. They went right into God's house. And God didn't zap them. There was no lightning bolt. There was no thunder. There was no earth opening up and swallowing them. Why didn't He do it? wasn't lawful for them to do it. They didn't understand. And Jesus had something greater to, to show them than what they were thinking in their minds. And, and, and the priests, every Sabbath day they work. They profane the Sabbath day. The word profane means to make common. We have the word in English, profanity. It comes from the word profane. And what it comes from is when they take the name of the Lord Jesus, a holy name that we're thinking about this morning, and they use it as a swear word. Imagine taking the holy name of Jesus and making it common. They profane it. It's just like any other three-letter or four-letter word. That's what the word profane means, to make common. So when Esau profaned his birthright in the book of Hebrews, it means he, he treated it like it was nothing. It was just an everyday thing. It didn't make, there's nothing special about it. And he says the priests are working and, and they don't get zapped off the face of the earth either. Your boy was born eight days before the Sabbath day and, and he needs to be circumcised and they do that. You take your offering for sin or your burnt offering or your meal offering or your peace offering or your trespass offering or your sin offering and you take it there on the Sabbath day and you know what? The priest takes it and offers it as a sacrifice. He doesn't stop working just because it's the Sabbath day. For him it's a common day. And God didn't zap them off the face of the earth either. Why do you think that was? Well, maybe there's something there that you guys aren't understanding, says the Lord Jesus. If you'd understand what the saying was, I desire, I delight to have mercy and not sacrifice. If you would have understood that, you would have not condemned the guiltless. Because they are really understanding who God is. Jesus was saying something, and he would say it in Matthew's Gospel, he would say, man wasn't made for the Sabbath day, you know. For the Sabbath day was made for the man. It was a day to give man the freedom from not working, to give them the freedom to seek God. That's what the whole idea behind the Sabbath day is, to, to free them to look for God and to find God. Because if you seek Him, you will be found by Him. And that's what the whole idea of the Sabbath day is. not a rule. It's not sort of a law just to be a law all by itself. It's there so you can find God. 
And beloved, if, if we were to say what was the purpose of the temple, and we were to condense it into one sentence, what would it be? What was the purpose of the temple? What was the purpose of the tabernacle? It was to help people to know God. That was a whole idea behind it. You come up to the tabernacle, there's a white fence. God's holy. You can't get in any way you like. You have to go through the obvious way. There's this white fence with a bright blue and purple and red and white door in the front, and, and that's the obvious way you enter in by. You just can't come any old way you want. You have to come through the gate. And it would teach about God. It would teach His holiness. But it would, it would teach that even though He was holy, He was approachable. He wasn't some impersonal force that you could never get to know. He was there. He's not someone that sits beyond the stars that you try to appease with, with whatever you can. He tells you, this is how you do it. First you've got to come. And you go through the door. And, and when you go through the door, you come up to this brazen altar. The brass speaks of judgment. And, and, and you have to judge sin. And sin is costly. Maybe not so much in, in, in California, but if you're not a vegetarian, how much does a whole lamb cost? How much is a, okay, let's make it smaller. How much is a rack of lamb cost? If you're going to go to a restaurant, I'd like the rack of lamb, please. You go to the butcher, and just, you know, we need some, a rack of lamb. Okay, how about lamb chops? How much do lamb chops? <laughs> we'll get it easier. We'll, sooner or later, we'll get it down to our price range. You know, those, those are just lamb chops. Three or four or five dollars a pound. But you have a 30-pound animal, 40-pound animal maybe. And so you got, it's costly, the sacrifice, isn't it? You want to buy some steaks. Comes from a cow. So if you want some filet mignon, how much is that per pound? That's part of a cow, you know. If you want the tri-tip and the sirloins, and the T-bones, and all those yummy parts. How much does a cow cost? And it's showing the cost of sin, isn't it? But imagine it's, it's your animal, and the priest slays your animal right before you. It's not an impersonal thing that you just bought, but let's imagine your name is Mary and you had a little lamb and it followed you to school one day. That was your little lamb. Or, or maybe you just had one little lamb and it was such a, a nice little lamb that even slept in your bed with you. That's what Nathan the prophet compared 
Bathsheba to. You got lots of wives, Dave. And you took someone else's. Now, now you take that lamb that's so close to you that it could even sleep in your own bed, that follows you to school one day, and now, now you have to watch it die. What does that do to your heart? What does that do to your, your soul? Tells you about the cost of sin, doesn't it? What was it, blessed God, that led thee to give thine only begotten Son? That huge cost that had to be paid to pay the price of our sin. There was the tabernacle, there was the temple. Talking about God. All the furniture that was there, all the sacrifices, they just pointed the way to God. That's what it was there for. The temple was the very center of Jewish life. They planned their lives around the temple. You know, my work schedule is planned around the Jewish feasts. Pentecost is coming up. I'm going to have to close my little store. So I better be saving my money because my little store isn't going to be open. The, the cabinet shop isn't going to be open. The, the blacksmith shop isn't going to be open because it's going to take us a couple of days to walk down to Jerusalem. We're going to be there a week or so. And then we have to walk back. So I have to have money to pay for the food and stuff. And we're not going to have any income during those two weeks or three weeks that we're not here. And then when we get back, I have some more work to do. So it'd probably be good if I finished these jobs up and worked a little extra so that I can get paid for those jobs before I, I go on my journey. And the people that were asking for the carpenter's son to build things, and they think, well, you know, I've got to pay for those chairs that he's making and, and those tables and whatever. So I need to have that money saved up because I'm not going to be around either. So there are holidays. I probably didn't have holidays. Probably comes over in the holy days when they had to go to the temple, when they had to go to Jerusalem. It's Pentecost coming up. It's Passover coming up. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles. Their whole life was planned around the temple. The, the sacrifices were planned around the temple. That was the only place you could offer legitimately the sacrifices. I know that some kings said, well, let's just go the opposite way of Jerusalem and we'll go up to Dan in the north and we'll go completely opposite the way of God in His presence. But that wasn't a legitimate temple. That's where the sacrifices had to be made. It was, it was the very essence of the Jewish being was the temple. And Jesus here is saying, you know what? I'm greater than the temple. 
The temple might show the way to God. But I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. He's greater than the temple, isn't he? Greater than all the sacrifices on Jewish altars slain was the Lord Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats could never remove sin. But John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, the high priest, he'd have to enter in twice to the holy place, didn't he? First to offer a sacrifice for his own sin, and then a sacrifice for the sin of the people. But the Lord Jesus says he only entered in once. Why is that? Because he didn't have his own sin, did he? He just offered a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. It wasn't offered year after year. It was offered only once. A greater sacrifice was offered there. He was greater than the temple. And beloved, if, if the temple was the center of their lives, if this was their reason for existence, if this was the reason to be greater than the temple is among us, beloved, And I suppose the question would be, I was going to say, what do we plan our lives around? What is the center of our lives? But I suppose the better question would be, who? Who is the center of our lives? Who is our reason for being? The writer to the Romans would say, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, that you present your lives as a living sacrifice. That you, you're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because, beloved, sin is so deceptive, it's so prevalent among us that even good Christians are deceived. Who is the center of your life? The world would say, you know, it's the American dream. It used to be to have a one-car garage with a car in it. Then it became a two-car garage with two cars. Then it was a three-car garage with three cars. Now I think most new homes are made with four garages. A white picket fence in front. At least that's how it is in Canada. All the new houses. Four garages. Last time I was in Canada, uh, 
I was helping a friend. I asked him if I could help him, uh, sort of selfishly, I suppose. He's a great drywaller, and I wanted to learn some tricks to drywalling. And, and other than the fact that I went about a tenth of his speed, I was pretty good at it. But we were in this house, and it had a nine-car garage. It had this lift in it so he could put some cars up and he could fit a 10th car under it. And he could lift up another one and put an 11th car under it. And then he says, well, let me show you the last house I worked on. And it had an 18-car garage, an upstairs and a downstairs. And then off to the side, he had a three-bay garage that you could fit a semi in each bay with the trailer behind it. And then on the side, he had a car wash. because." It's not California, and you're allowed to wash your cars at your own home. That's what the American dream is, supposedly. Two and a half kids. Apparently, it's become to be three and a half wives or husbands through divorce and remarriage. And you have to have some of those blended children, because that's part of the American dream, apparently, too. And you have to get an education because without an education, you can't get a good job. And without a good job, you're not going to get nine cars for your nine garages. And how are you going to pay all that alimony for your three and a half wives and all the child support that you're going to need to pay for your two and a half children that live with one of your previous spouses? And we have season tickets for this and for that. And we need our mandatory month holidays, and we, we go this place and that place. And we forget about the Lord altogether. We don't even remember the Lord on his holidays. We, we spend our money like it's our money and not God's money. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I remember this one time in, in Mexico, there was a brother who just, he made good money, but he never had any money. We couldn't figure it out. So we started saying, well, let's write down all the things you spend your money on. Well, it turns out that he spent a third of his income on Coca-Cola. Now, wages are a little bit lower in Mexico, and the price of soda is about the same. Uh, so if you're making only $10 or $15 a day, and you spend $5 of your $10 on a soda, maybe you can sort of understand it because it's a low wage. But I have a friend that works at Starbucks, and she says some guys come in three or four times a day and buy 5 and $7 coffees. Well, what's five times three? Fifteen. Let's just do it easy. We'll round it off to 20 so the math is easy. What's 20 times seven? $140 a week. Does the Lord get that much out of us? Starbucks does. And we asked the fellow, and he's, you know, you're spending 
You give more to Coca-Cola than you're giving to the Lord, and it's no wonder you're poor. You can't possibly imagine honoring Coca-Cola more than you honor the Lord is going to get you rich one day. Because the Lord is nobody's debtor, you know. But that's the, I guess, the Mexican dream. You're not going to drive a, an SUV, but you're going to drive a low-rider car or something. And, and what's the center of our lives? Our family? Our education? You know, I, I can't go to meeting tonight because I have to study. I used to be a student. I know what that's like. But you know, before a test, there were a whole bunch of days before the test that I could have studied. And I did study. That two hours that I missed wasn't going to make or break me. If I had a surgeon or an accountant that studied his test for two hours the night before and that was going to make or break him, I certainly wouldn't want that person doing any surgery on me. I wouldn't want that person doing my books. He didn't know it two hours before that. He's going to forget it that quickly, too. So I suppose the question for us this morning is, who is our center? If the temple was the very center of Jewish life, and, and the temple was designed to know God, what is the center of our lives? Is it the Lord Jesus or not? Do we design, do we plan our lives around the Lord Jesus? And not just to, to, you know, some of us came this morning to remember him as he asks us to. It's not that we just are here present, physically present. It's that we're in our closets. We might as well be alone because our thoughts are so wrapped up and captivated by Him. That's the whole benefit of the Lord's Supper, you know. It's not nothing in the bread, there's nothing in the wine that makes it special. We're not those religious people that think this is the bread and it becomes the body of the Lord Jesus and this is the wine that becomes the blood of the Lord Jesus and if we eat it and drink it, it's a symbol. The people knew that, this is my bread. This is my body, said the Lord Jesus. What? It's a loaf of bread. Yeah, it's a symbol. And this is my blood. Are you bleeding somewhere and you just hung that cup underneath? Or, or what's up with that? No, it's a symbol. They understood it was a symbol. It's not in eating the bread. It's not in drinking the wine. It's because we remember the Lord and he's the very center of our thoughts. And as he's the th center of our thoughts, Paul would write to the Corinthians and say, we're transformed from glory unto glory as if by the Spirit of God. Spirit of the Lord, sorry. And as we do that, that contemplation of the Lord Jesus, because he's the center, that's what, what does is it's not the physical being here. It's not being religious. That's what these people were being religious. You can't go through the cornfields and harvest and pick and eat and chew and shuck. You can't do that. 
The Lord Jesus says, greater than the temple is here. You want to know God? You had to go to the temple in those days. You want to know God now? I'm the one you have to focus on. Philip asked the question, Let, Lord, we want to see the Father. No, I wasn't there, but the Lord Jesus probably shook his head. Not in disgust, maybe, but probably with sadness. Philip, have I been here so long? You haven't figured it out yet? He who's seen me has seen the Father. You want to see God. Here I am. There was God in heaven. Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me. The Lord Jesus responded. And beloved, if the temple was such a great thing to center your life on, a greater than the temple is here. You know, the only way to, to live the satisfied life as a Christian is to have it focused on the Lord Jesus. If you think it's in coming to the Lord's Supper, I don't know how many times, times without count, I've heard from people saying, that was the most boring thing I've ever been at. That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. It's because Christ isn't the center. Your money's not going far enough. There's too much month at the end of the money. It's because Christ isn't the center. In the olden days, you used to have to pray, Lord, if you'd like me to have this, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. And now we go, oh, American Express. Now instead of in God, we trust it's in American Express. We extend ourselves to the uttermost limits. It's because Christ isn't the center. We go away on a vacation, we come back sort of refreshed, but in a day or so we're, we're completely overstressed again. Why is that? You just had a couple weeks to unwind, a week to unwind, a weekend to unwind. What's, what's, why are you so wound up again? Because Christ wasn't the center. And he's always supposed to be the center. In the previous chapter to this, he would say, all you that are labor and heavy laden, if you're working too hard and, and the weight seems unbearable, come unto me. My, my burden isn't so heavy. The yoke isn't, isn't so bad. Just come and, and learn, learn, about, learn about me. You'll find out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The scriptures say. Because you, know, you can obey all the rules of the Bible you want. 
And if you miss the whole point that God desires mercy and not sacrifice, if you miss the whole point that the scriptures testify of the Lord Jesus, and you search them and you think that in them you have eternal life, you know what? You've missed the whole point. Beloved, Jesus is greater than the temple. He's worthy to be the center and the focus of all we do. And he's the only one. It's him we, we put before you this morning. Like Joshua in the question that was asked. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. And my prayer is that you will say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's close our Bibles and close our eyes. Our Father in heaven, Jesus is better than the temple. He's a better priest, a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better center of our lives. He's a better thing, a better person to plan our lives around. There's none like him. He's the fairest of 10,000 to our soul. He's the one who's altogether lovely. He's the one in whom was your delight. He's the one in, in whom you were well pleased. He glorified you here on earth as we're reading this morning. And now we, we lift him back up to you and we glorify him. And we thank you for him. We, we humbly ask your forgiveness for every time he hasn't been the center of our lives. Sometimes we go astray. Sometimes we're prone to wander. Prone to leave the God we love. But you, O oh Lord, have deigned to seal it with thy spirit from above. And so, Father, we, we ask your forgiveness. We are unworthy vessels. But we thank you for the one who is found worthy. And we give him all glory and honor and power and dominion. And our prayer is that you would help us. That you would help us to make him the center of our lives all the time. We can't do it in our own strength. Without him we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So help us make him the focus, we pray. Help us to realize 
that a greater than the temple is here amongst us. Help us to realize that he is the way to the Father and that there's nothing more important to put our lives upon. And so we commend ourselves into your hands, asking your blessing on these thoughts this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.